Hello, and welcome to the DFS Coach Talk Podcast. My name is Mike Patria. I am joined by my wonderful friend Santino Cocone on this Wednesday morning. It is 7 a.m. June 3rd, and we're here to talk about some good old MLB. So uh, we just wrapped up some of our NFL team breakdowns. We're going to touch back on some of the NBA and MLB teams that we've talked about in the past to circle back around while we got some free time. But we're here to bring some hard-hitting news updates. We're talking player news updates. We're talking league proposals to the players. Uh, and just some of the general consensus of what we believe will happen if some of these rules apply. So we'll be talking about some of the universal DH, how that will apply to some of these NL teams, some pitchers, some other things. So some good notes to take, some good little information that you might want to keep in your black book for when the season does start and DFS is here. Uh, that might be able to profit some dough, some dough and some dollars for us. But Santino, it's 7 a.m. I know you're not necessarily a morning guy, but how are you doing right now? Doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm just getting ready to talk some baseball, see, uh, they'll talk about the latest proposals. I know the players and, and owners in the league are not having a, a very nice conversations with each other, but uh, at some point something's going to have to give, whether it's no season or a season. Yeah, then that's I think that's what everybody else is hoping for. We just want to see something. Um, you know, this is it seems like we're still in the right direction to have a season. Uh, it's just mud, mudding up the up the waters right now, just trying to find a way to get there. Uh, you know, we'd like that to be sooner rather than later. But I think everybody's in the same camp of, you know, the owners, the players and the fans. We all just want to see some baseball, whether it's, you know, we're allowed in the stadiums or not. Um, you know, obviously the players are looking out for themselves right now and the owners are somewhat doing the same. You know, they have to you know, they're worried about themselves at the same time. So uh, we'll eventually get there. So, I mean, we can we can lead off at the top, man. Let's just talk about it. Let's talk about this proposal. Um, we've heard probably about four or five different ones get lofted into the air since uh, this whole um, COVID-19 kind of took off and we've been quarantined. Uh, there's been many, many. But why don't you talk about the most recent one, uh, one that just was proposed, I believe, a few days ago. Like I said, it's June 3rd right now. Um, and the impacts that, you know, it would have, I guess, on the players. So we'll talk about the the general uh, schematics surrounding it, I guess. Uh, you know, what the you know, how many games, prorated salaries, and then we'll talk about some of the actual rule changes and how it will affect us. So uh, why don't you jump into that? Uh, I mean, they're proposing a new proposal. There's been a few in the last couple of days, so I'm not sure which one you're exactly talking <laughs> about. Uh, the the owners wanted to do 50 to 60 games or so. The players balked at that and said 114. I would expect something maybe in the middle of that, maybe half the season 81 to 90 maybe even 100 games uh, 114 would be nice but a 50 60 game season is uh, i don't even know what that would be that would be pretty stupid in my opinion i don't i wouldn't even want to see that how are you, you going to have an actual world series champion in 50 games or 60 games um that's uh, less than a third or barely a third of the season and then you have the playoffs people don't won't even really round into form by then so uh, I could understand completely why the players would definitely balk at that. Uh, if you think about it, uh, we're definitely missing April, May, June. That's a lot of lot of games. Uh, we're probably going to be playing regular season well into maybe November. Um, so we're going to have to see exactly how the schedule is going to look. I know there's going to be a lot more uh, double headers and and whatnot, day night double headers. So we're going to see how that affects the players. But it, it's going to be a lot of a different season than we're accustomed to. 
Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things you touched on it, um, the amount of games that we're going to be playing or they're going to be playing. So whether it's 60, 100, 114, 80, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. I think 50, 60 is just terrible. It's not fun. Um, it, I mean, that's just asking for like one of those asterisks next to a World Series championship. And if there's any sport that has to worry about asterisks, it's baseball. So it's like, this wouldn't even this wouldn't even be a blip on the radar. It wouldn't make sense whatsoever for anybody, um, players, owners, anything. I don't I don't see unless they're charging pay per view for us to watch the games, which I don't think would be a great idea either. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's just no real revenue, I guess, in a 60 game season. It would make more sense for the owners, in my in my opinion, to try to get more games, try to get more revenue. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of why we've also heard that, you know, the players would be willing to, let's say there's a second wave of COVID, um, and the playoffs were to get for, foregone or postponed or whatever it is. Um, there would be, I believe some sort of circumstance where the players would forego some of their, some of their salary for the next two seasons. I believe it is. If I'm not, uh, maybe I'm saying this wrong. You might have a better understanding on how this works. Um, just so that way the owner is expecting to take a hit the players would be willing to sacrifice slightly if the, if the playoffs does not happen. Am I correct? Did I say that right? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could get all that out again and say it in a correct manner. Uh, I think you got what I was trying to say, the gist of it. So maybe I, maybe I butchered it a little bit. So I was going to ask you about that. And if you knew a little bit more about it, uh, I didn't really hear what you were saying. Oh, but, uh, okay. So my fault. So um, I know that there was a, there's a certain, there's a certain construct to the proposal that they're, that they're, you know, building where if playoffs were to get suspended, if there was a second wave and something were to happen, that the owners would basically be covered slightly knowing that because the biggest revenue that these team owners get is playoffs. It's the money that they make during the postseason um, that the players would obviously take a some sort of salary hit or some sort of payment structure based on the teams not making playoffs. And then there's also another structure that comes in saying that more teams would make playoffs um, incentivizing the owners a little bit more. So I was going to ask you to touch on those slightly and your thoughts on them. Yeah, that's the the biggest issue. Um, the playoff situation, are they going to get through it? Is it going to be an NHL, NBA sort of thing? Um, one thing I've been trying to say for since this whole thing started, the NBA, NHL, the, the leagues that were already in play and that were already played over half the season pretty much were gearing up for the playoffs – it's a lot easier for them to come back. Um, you already had all that footwork in players, league owners, uh, or team owners, league league associates. Everybody wants that to continue because you you need a, you need to crown a champion. You can't just end it halfway through and uh, let it go. It's a little harder for baseball because we didn't we haven't started. They, there's no games played. They don't have any records. Uh, they're not. They weren't gearing up for the playoffs. They're gearing for, for the regular season. So if a league was not to start it would be baseball if if one of the leagues just decided oh we, we can't we can't agree to anything it made more sense to for it to be baseball and that's what we're seeing play out right now uh, but yeah you, you if they don't think that they can get a playoff season in there um that's going to be a difficult conversation to have but i mean I don't know how this virus is going to play out that's something that you you're asking i, I can't really answer that yeah. for you but uh We'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that nobody nobody knows right now, and that's kind of why they're they're kind of you know 
circumventing every sort of circumstance that could happen. And they're trying to build it into the proposal where just to cover everybody, uh, the last thing anybody wants is to get sports started. Something happened, then we have to stop them again, and then we're set back. Um, that's, I think, everybody's biggest fear is jumping into things a little bit too early. Um, and you, you've, we've heard several MLB players, the most notable being Blake Snell, come out and say, um, if this isn't perfect, if he's not getting his you know, a, a prorated salary, if he's not doing this, there's no incentive for him to play. You know, He's touched on that the players are the ones that are absorbing all the risk. I mean, the owners are going to be sitting home in their offices watching these games or in a, you know, maybe they have access to their press box or whatever it may be up top. Uh, but they're not the ones that are going to be the ones taking the chance of catching COVID, uh, traveling, risking everything. It's the players. So that that's generally why the players feel like if they're taking all the risk, they should obviously be on the 60-40 end receiving of this proposal, not the not a 50-50 or 60-40 uh, via the owners getting the 60. So um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what's your take on that? Uh, do, you, do you kind of agree? I know it's a split decision right now between uh, a lot of people being for Blake Snell and saying, you know, he's an idiot. Just go out there and play baseball. Uh, but where's what's your take on that? Uh, sports are a player driven league. I agree with the players. They should get their fair amount of value and then maybe even more than the owners. I in, in a standard job, if you didn't want to pay your employees the same rate, uh, because this thing went down and we saw a lot of layoffs, people would have a different view on this. And uh, that's that's kind of how I feel. I think these owners should take more of the, the financial hit because uh, they, they are invested in this hit. They have they should pay their employees the same rate that they should be paying their employees, whether it's uh, I mean, the prorated salary should be like a standard, I believe. I don't think I know the original one, they wanted to cut it in to nearly almost nearly 25 percent of their their actual pay for the season, which is insane. Uh, I know they're making millions of dollars, some of them, but to cut it that much is to say almost 70%. That's, uh, that, that's too much to ask for someone to do, to go out there and risk their health and the health of their family and friends and, and stay away from people for so long an amount of time just to go out there and do that. So I think uh, I would have balked at it too. And it makes sense that they do it. And one thing that I was thinking that makes uh, even more or something that they're probably going to definitely touch on the the whole um, service time that they have the whole argument that they've always had with the service time how especially when you're in the top one top two percent of the minor league system that they keep you down longer um, because you need to work on your defense or you need to work <laughs> on something that doesn't make sense because you're tearing it up uh, that if they if the owners keep or add uh, extra things that they want the players to take, they should take that out. Take, I mean, you're adding extra years of paying a, uh, a top-level talent. Like, a, like just we'll throw Mike Trout in there because he's obviously the best player in the game. You're, you're adding an extra year to pay Mike Trout $100,000 when you know damn well he's the best player in the league and he should be making a lot more than that. Uh, and then not only just one year, you might be adding two, three years of that same uh, $1 million contract when they're making you $1 million in like two weeks. Yeah. And I, I mean, we, we've <laughs> seen that happen over the years, countless times. I think I was just talking about it when we were breaking down teams when they, they basically said that they did it to Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, yeah, me, he's not known to be defensive, but the dude's bat was pretty much MLB ready. 
Um, but they were working on his defense for a long time. That's why they want to call him up. They wanted to keep working on his defense. That's that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's arbitration years. They just want to get longer, cheaper salary for a longer amount of time. Um, and we've seen that happen time and time again. And it's the one thing that we always have to worry about when it comes to prospects and fantasy baseball. It's yes, everybody wants the shiny new toy. Uh, but we really, we, you know, we've seen, we've seen some teams, you know, do like what they, like what the Phillies did with Scott Kingery, gave him a contract before his season started during his call up, you know, just locking him in for several years. Then we see other teams drag it on, try to get the most out of a guy for a long, long, long time. Um, and it's never fun for baseball, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it seems like it just became part of the game and I, I would be okay with doing away with it with you. Um, I think that's a good segue into another aspect, part of this proposal, that the MLB is talking about doing away with. And it's something that you've brought up, Santino, and kudos to you. You were ahead of this curve. You were talking about it probably three, four months ago about a universal DH being proposed and the impact it would have uh, on DFS, on season-long leagues, on just an MLB in general. Uh, it's an idea that I would be all for. I think a lot of a lot of fans are all for it. I think a lot of players are all for it. It seems like something that we should have done a long time ago. And if this were to take place and it's a big hit, it's something I'm hoping that they would just adopt. Uh, not just do it as a temporary thing because we're having a shortened season. But yeah, back to it, man. Good call. Universal DH looks like it's it's pretty much already been agreed upon at this point for this season, at least, uh, regardless of whatever proposal gets proposed. So I wanted to touch on that and talk, get your thoughts on maybe let's talk about a few hitters that we would think that would benefit from the Universal DH. Obviously, most of them being probably in the National League. So. Um, I'll give you first crack. Who's a player that you're looking at to have a big impact if this oh. universal DH is a real thing? Well, yeah, but it's one. Uh, before I get into it, I was gonna say yeah, it's something that I brought up in one of the podcasts earlier. Um, but interestingly enough, a lot of the M- NL teams uh, didn't really say yes to this. Uh, every AL team did. I think there was four NL teams: the Reds, Cubs, Brewers, and Braves that unanimously wanted this. Um, the rest were pretty much either on the fence or said no, which was pretty interesting. Um, I don't really, I my personal preference to watch in watching baseball, I'd obviously rather see a DH there and then than a pitcher. But the game itself, I don't mind having a pitcher bat because it just makes the strategy of baseball a lot better. Um, but for fantasy wise, unless I have a pitcher in the National League, I definitely want to see more more hits more home runs an actual hitter in there instead of a guy who doesn't practice their their batting skills at all um but yeah there are quite a few people out there that could benefit with this uh we've seen it throughout the years there's a lot of people that just can't really play defense they maybe get thrown in at the hot corner or uh, first base or corner outfield spots one of those two is pretty much what you play if you can't play anything else um but a couple people um Start. We'll start with the four teams that start or uh, said yes to this. The Brewers are probably going to play uh, Ryan Braun a lot more at DH because I mean he's let's be honest he's pretty old right now. He can only play the corner outfield spots uh, if he does play. So he looks like more of a, a prime DH candidate there. Um, the Reds they have a gluttony of outfielders. Uh, they added the Shogo uh, Shogun right there. That's what I like to call him the show. Um, they have Nick Senzel, Jesse Winkler, Nick Castellanos. Um, one of those four will probably play DH for the majority of the, the, the season. Uh, I, I don't think they'll play DH all the time. Maybe they could switch out because not all they're not bad defenders, but uh, you have a gluttony of spots there. And then double A's there as well. 
Uh, for the Cubs, maybe a uh, Kyle Schwarber goes to DH and you throw in Nick or, uh, Sousa out there or um, Amora out there and move Hap to a corner outfield spot. That would be make the most sense. Uh, or Hap gets in a, a few extra at-bats as well. For the Braves, uh, it's got to be Austin Riley. I mean, he's already in competition for a starting job right now at third base. Camargo is a lot better third baseman defensively, uh, and Riley's bat is is there. So that just gives him another weapon, and that's a guy I would like. Um, any 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 other guys that on, on those four teams, especially who said yes to it, do you uh, you think plays over them? Well, there's definitely so as far as those four teams, I think I thought it was funny because no surprise, those are all the teams that have like problems with outfield depth that have too many guys that they can't play. So of course, all those teams are going to be right on board for it. Uh, you touched on Braun. I think you know uh, Justin Smoke is another option that they have. You know, a guy that they were talking about Braun and Justin Smoke basically splitting first base time. Um, it secures a spot basically for both these guys. I mean. Um, I do not think if you're looking at Justin Spokes numbers, uh, Toronto, he was coming from, struggled there. Great ballpark to play in, but Milwaukee might just be a slightly better ballpark to play in. He bounded like I think it was like 209 last season. That's not something that we can count on. Like there's, there's a chance this guy's batting 209 again. That was an abnormality. If you look at his, uh, you know, his X, his X stats, he was expected batting average was supposed to be almost 30 points higher. So it, it, you know, there's some there's some things that I think he's going to be a guy that goes underlooked. Um, that we can benefit from a guy that won't be expensive on DFS, probably a dirt cheap first baseman option. And first base is a spot where I don't know about you. I, I generally don't pay up for in DFS just because, you know, you can get a cheap first baseman and you're looking for the power at that position at that corner infield spot. Um, so you're, you're trying to get that home run. And if you can get a cheap Justin smoke, you know, batting DH in a good park, wherever it is, um, that's going to be something I'm looking at. And you, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as, as far as, uh, the Cubs, <clears throat> I think Schwarber's a guy that they'd like to get as their universal DH. So that's a, that's another guy I totally agree with. Um, what about the Rockies? That's one thing I wanted to ask you about. So we're, we're looking at the Rockies, who are just loaded with all this young talent and young depth, whether it's you know Garrett Hampson, Brendan Rodgers, uh, Ryan McMahon is looking like he's starting. Trevor Story looks like they're the two starters. But between uh, Hampson and Rodgers, one of these guys could end up seeing some time at DH. I know Hampson's a little bit more of a utility player who could find his way around the diamond in many different ways. So he can just fill in for an offslot. But do you have any interest in either one of these guys if they were to pick up a DH tag? Um, I mean, there's they still have even more options, uh, depending on who starts at that third outfield spot. Could be uh, Tapia, Desmond, Sam Hillard. Um, all three of those guys are all options as well. This team is very deep in who they could put for that last outf- or, uh, DH spot. They have four people. Um those three and Hampson that will probably, or and Brandon Rogers, they have five people who probably start. Um, maybe they put Hampson at second base and put McMahon at uh, DH, but I mean they have a lot of options. It'll be depending on who pitches, um, how the splits match up, and who's just uh, ready to go there. But um, I, I could see Brandon Rogers because he was their top prospect last year. Uh, in the, in the year before that. So I could see him getting that first crack if he's healthy enough. I know he's still re- uh, recovering from his torn labrum. But Hampson is also a, another guy. I'm not really high on Desmond. It's pretty much a downhill turn for him. Uh, Tapia is so-so. I, he probably can play the field more, depending on if they want Sam Hilliard. But I would say Hampson or Rogers are probably the top two guys there. Uh, 
depending on who's available. But if Brendan Rodgers shows that he can adapt and uh, his power translates, he's a guy I'm definitely looking at. And if Garrett Hampson's getting full playing time, that's going to be a sneaky, sneaky steals guy because this guy could hit 300. He could steal bases at a high clip and uh, maybe see find himself working into the number one, number two spot in the lineup and pushing everybody a little bit back. So those two guys, if depending on if they're playing or not or getting that spot, those are two definites that I'm I'm looking at on a day-to-day basis. And Rodgers is, uh, I think Rodgers is big in our home, in our home hearts right now, Santino. He's a former yard goat. Uh, he was the star of the Yard Goats. As if anybody doesn't know, the Yard Guards are the uh, triple, triple A or double A affiliate for double the Rockies, a. double A affiliate for the Rockies, and they're stationed in Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> the only team that we have in our state, pretty much. So we lost everything else. Uh, so that's what we have. It's actually not too far from Santino's home. Yeah, um, about five and, minutes away, and I'm, I'm kind of upset because I really wanted to go to some Yard go- Games this summer. Yeah, it was something that we were looking forward to tailgating a little bit, getting a little rowdy in the parking lot over there. But uh, Garrett Hampson, he's somebody that I think if we look at what his ceiling is, like what he could potentially be as far as if he gets enough playing time, we could be looking at like a Jonathan VR-esque guy, a guy that uh, can steal you some bases, can have a decent amount of pop, nothing that's going to blow you off the page, solid average, not going to hurt you anyway, which is an extremely useful player when we think about fantasy sports and just DFS in general. So um, both those guys have tremendous upside. They also have a ton of downside. They're young as hell. Uh, but so does a guy like Ryan McMahon, who we've already watched flop in the MLB, like really, really struggle to get his bat going around. So, you know, pretty good bat in, in the minor league systems, but really struggled with contact strikeouts and a lot of other things. And um, I think Sam Hilliard was the other guy you mentioned. I think he has a very good chance to see some permanent playing time at some point throughout the season. If one of these three guys falters and DH happens to be a spot that opens up, um, I think he could easily get some playing time. So another guy you mentioned was Riley. Um, I think that he's probably a guy that benefits the most um, out of anybody when it comes to this. I mean, he's a dude that showed it. I think he had 33 home runs last season combined between the minor leagues and the major leagues. He he came out and had that historic pace of, uh, I can't even remember how many. It was like 12 and 16 games. Something ridiculous, obviously. Hmm. Uh, But he also came with a 36.4 strikeout rate, which is, we know, you can't you can't have that. There's very few yeah. players who get away with having a strikeout rate like that. And if they do, it's because they have otherworldly power, uh, you know, where we're OK if they strike out three quarters of the time, if they're going to hit a bomb uh, every other every time they put the barrel on the ball. So um, you touched on it. He was, you know, whether it was outfield or third base, they were looking to get him involved now. And it just makes it this much easier because Camargo is a way better defender than him. So it didn't you know, it, it would have been a struggle for them uh, to, to have to sacrifice that. Um, yeah, you know, there's a few other guys I'm sure that we could touch on, uh, you know, the guys over there in Washington, they have a few first base options and, you know, there's, there's a lot that's going to change, but I think we touched on most of them. Uh, Cespedes, oh. another one. Yeah. I do want to say, uh, Jonas Cespedes, a healthy Cespedes who doesn't have to worry about playing the field. Uh, this is when I mentioned the, the universal DH, because this guy is prototypical for that universal DH spot. Um, two other guys I do want to mention are two teams that I want to mention are the Dodgers and the the uh, Marlins. The Marlins have a few options out there like Matt Kemp, Matt Joyce, Luis Brinson. One of those guys is going to get a lot of, of playing time and could be something. The Dodgers, that means that they don't have to bench uh, Young Jock or or Pollock at all. all those two can play along with um, their other outfield guys. So uh, depending on who's available, I mean, Jock would probably still sit against uh, left-handers because he can't hit them. And maybe Kiki, Kiki Hernandez comes out there. Uh, but another guy that I do want to touch on uh, just quickly 
Tyler O'Neill for the, the Cardinals. Uh, this guy has massive power. Uh, he's currently battling for a, a lineup spot. Obviously, there's there's no battling going on right now. But um, if Tommy Edmond winds up playing the outfield, Tyler O'Neill's not looking at a, a starting spot. And it, but a DH spot, he's definitely there for it. Uh, this guy has raw power that is hardly matched in the in the majors. So he's some guy I'm definitely looking at to take people deep on a on a semi regular basis. And in, in DFS, that's what I'm looking for: people with the power that can hit that uh, that long ball every time they step up to the plate. And he could probably pitch in 10 steals, which is not a slouch for a guy who could hit 30 plus home runs. That's a great call. He's a guy that I you know I've been. I think in our season-long league, I've had at least every single year for the past few years, just waiting for him to kind of put it all together. And one of those guys that we're willing to take risks on, just because we know what the possible upside is. It's, it, you know, I, and it, it's probably a fool's gold comparison to compare anybody to Aaron Judge. But I don't know if you remember the year that he first got called up, the struggles he had in training camp, where he was just getting thrown to the side, nobody wanted him. All of a sudden, regular season starts. This dude's the real <laughs> deal. And we saw what happens when he could put the barrel on the ball. We don't care about the strikeout rate or anything else that comes with it uh, because of that upside. So, you know, there's a few other things I think O'Neill's game could use. Obviously, his plate discipline and some things like that could be a factor. But the raw power potential you touched on it, it's there. It's absolutely there. And if he's going to grab a hold of that DH spot, absolutely a guy that you're going to want to look at, especially DFS, because he's probably going to bat somewhere, maybe not in the heart of the order, but maybe around that five, six mark, maybe even a little higher with that power that he does have. But, uh, you know, in a, in a rock solid lineup, he's going to be dirt cheap. He's going to cost you nothing. The it's one thing gonna, I, yeah, he won't ever hit the 3000 mark. I don't think. No, no. But the one thing I want to propose and, and ask you about as far as DFS goes, are we going to have to create a DH position in DFS now? Like, are, what about some of these guys that aren't going to have eligibility? Um, I know that O'Neill will probably still have outfield eligibility next to his name. Um, but it almost makes me feel like they might have to add another roster spot to DFS. What do you think? I mean, they already have everybody that we talked about in the National League already has a position to attach to their name because they have to. Um, and in the American League, they already do as well. I, I believe Nelson Cruz in the simulations is already a outfielder. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they have to add a DH. Plus, there's I know in FanDuel especially, and uh, both of them actually in DraftKings, they have a, a util spot. So uh, I guess maybe they if they wanted to put another util spot, but... Um, as long as they attach what their main position is when they do play the field, like a Nelson Cruz who doesn't play the field anyway, uh, it makes sense to just leave it as is. But that would be an interesting thing if they added, if they gave you an extra $4,000 to play with and then uh, added a spot. Yeah, I think it's full. I don't think it's going to happen. I think you're right. Um, just trying to just trying to spice <laughs> it up a little bit. But there's another aspect to this that I know that obviously all these NL teams are going to get a boost in their lineup. But another thing I, I thought about, Santino, I wanted to catch your thoughts on is what do you think this does for the NL's team's defenses? I mean, there's a lot of guys that we imagine that were basically terrible defenders, but their bats were worth playing. So they had to play these guys. And now they can play these guys at DH. We were just talking about Austin Riley. If he plays DH and now Johan Camargo would be the better defensive player at third. Does this help these pitchers at all in any way? Does it help? I mean, obviously, it's got to help the team defenses overall. But how does how do you think this impacts fantasy and DFS? It's a little tricky because it's it, both sides. It does help the pitchers a little bit because you are taking that inferior defender off the field and you're putting someone well, for the most part, you're putting someone there who can play a, a better field. Um, but at the same time, you're not going against a pitcher twice a game uh, who you know is 
99% of the time a, a, a pretty much a guaranteed out. Uh, and now you're actually getting a competent batter in there, uh, hopefully a competent batter in there uh, instead, which makes it more difficult. The outs are harder. Defense is obviously going to improve, and it, as it should, but uh, pitching to you're not going to, it's not going to be number one through eight and then a guaranteed out. This is going to change a lot of things, especially in DFS. Um, when, when you have an eight hitter, I know in that the podcast, uh, I was talking about Ahmed Rosario and uh, we were talking, he, he might bat eighth, he might bat first. Uh, if he bats eighth, that means the pitcher is going to be behind him. In this scenario, he's not going to be uh, have a pitcher behind him so he's going to be in a still still a pretty good spot it's not going to have that automatic out behind him where he's going to score less runs because of that uh, they can pitch around him because of that this is going to change a lot of how teams approach these this ninth spot or whoever's in the ninth spot and approach their defensive uh, shifts and whatnot because of it so it's, it's going to change a lot of things I don't I think it's going to be a little, I would say, slightly worse for the pitcher because you're not getting that free out. And most of the time, they are strikeouts, and, and mm-hmm. we love that in DFS. Absolutely, and you just you just had me thinking, uh, you know, talking about that turnaround, that 8-9 spot, which if it's not a pitcher now, it would be, I guess, a more capable bat, most likely. And that just rings a bell in my ear saying that that's more RBI opportunities now for these leadoff guys that we're generally not expecting these RBI opportunities from. Generally, leadoff guys, that could be a big power hitter driving in, but... When you're talking about a you know a guy that can easily get on first or first or second more often than not compared to a pitcher, um, that that to me means it's more RBI opportunity for these leadoff guys, and that might put a little bit more uh, more stock into these leadoff guys now, especially for DFS where we're looking for those runs scored and RBIs. These guys are going to have a, a, a ton more opportunity. Uh, does that mean it's going to you know drastically change and affect everything? Probably not drastically, but I definitely think it's something that we need to know and it's worth you know talking about. Yeah. And then you, you see it, even if someone bats to 230, it's a lot better usually than when you're getting from that nine spot. I know, obviously, there's a lot of pinch hitting. There's a lot of switching, double switching, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're going to see less of that in the National League because you're not going to have – well, we are going to have a deeper bench. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but you're going to see a little bit less of that because you already have a competent batter in there most of the time, and you don't have to take it out. And we're going to see maybe uh, pitchers go longer. Because of that, a lot of times a starting pitcher will go five, six innings in the National League. We'll be pitching an effective game, but then you have a man on second and third or a man on first and second, one, two outs, and you your pitcher's coming up. You're, you you say to yourself, a lot of managers have to tell them, ask themselves, uh, is this time to get him out of here before he uh, gets a little tired, get some more pitches on him, get someone in here who could drive those runs in. And, and, and now you don't always have to think about that. You're going to have some guy coming up who could drive those runs in not a pitcher who's maybe going to get a hit every 15 at bats or, or or you're hoping he gets hit by a pitch or something crazy like that yeah and um I mean, it's a good segue into our into our next portion, which I wanted to talk about. And you you mentioned it being a double-edged sword. Yes, it's good for the pitchers as far as them being able to, uh, you know, have better defensive guys behind them. But then they're also going to be facing better guys. So it had me thinking, uh, you know, a, a pitcher, a couple pitchers, and I'm sure if we did some digging um, into the into the National League, we'd be able to find more. But there's one guy that popped in my head in particular, Madison Bumgarner. A guy that, you know, some people are high on, they, they love him. Other people are think he's towards the end of his career, you know, downhill, downturn, swing of things. But he's somebody that, you know, I know has pitched in the National League for quite some time now. Um, and 
you know, now that he's not going to be able to go against these easy outs twice, three times a game sometimes, him sometimes more often three, because he's getting deep into games. He's getting seven, eight innings in a lot of the times, at least six usually. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at his numbers. So his regular season 2019 stats, he held his opponents to a 245 batting average, and he had a 3.9 ERA, 3.90. Um, if we look at just his his stats against interleague squads in interleague stadiums, opponents had 286 batting average, so an improvement of about 30, uh, 21. I'm sorry, 30, 41 uh, batting average, and then his ERA jumped from 3.90 to 5.16. So he's one guy I know that I'm going in there, and if there is a universal DH, I hope a lot of people go to him, and I hope a lot of people are looking at him because he struggles mightily and really counts on that extra out from the pitcher. It looks like so. Um, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot and just ask you if there's anybody else that comes to your mind that, you know, we could think of. But I definitely think it's it's almost all and only almost all these pitchers that spent their entire career in the National League um, are going to are going to have some struggles, I think. And it's worth noting. I mean, you know, there's a few guys that we can consider, uh, you know, your, your, your guys like your Scherzers and those guys who are just probably going to be lights out regardless, who just they're 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 who they are. They're studs. But for those guys that are teetering in the middle, um, I'm probably going to, you know, give a little point to uh, the batting lineup going against them from now on. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be different for people who never really faced a DH or never faced a nine-man team where you know there's not an easy out every time. Uh, but at the same time, it's, I mean, especially in home games, uh, you're going to have the familiar, familiarity with that stadium um, and, and whatnot. Sometimes people travel to new stadiums that they never played on before, and that could explain why they their stats and numbers uh, dipped a little bit. Maybe it's not fully because of the DH. Maybe it's because uh, they traveled to Seattle, and he never played in Seattle in, in the ballpark before, or in Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, that's something that I would look at into, and you, and you want to make sure that you, you know what's going on there. Uh, but I wouldn't fully knock people down a peg. Just know that there's not going to be as many easy outs as as they're accustomed to. Absolutely. And I think we can look at it even the same way. We see it happen to hitters all the time. When a guy gets traded from like the American League to the National League or vice versa, um, you usually see these guys struggle in that transition because it's not just because of the new stadium and everything else. It's He's probably never seen this pitcher. A lot of this research and time in the film room goes into studying these guys' mechanics, their footwork, their release, everything, their spin rate, everything that comes with it. And when you go, you get switched to a whole new league, it's like, okay, now it's like you got to learn a whole new language. Uh, it, it's, it's a whole new group of guys that you've never really studied and look at. So a lot of times you'll see these hitters sometimes struggle when they're going against these transitional interleague pitchers. So, um, you know. I think I, I I thought it was worth noting because we could see, you know, Bumgarner might be a case of the extreme, a guy that mightily yeah. struggled. And I think that's just because his splits throughout his career. Like if we, if we were to look at these numbers when he was 23 years old, they'd probably be drastically different than him at his age now. But I think there's certain players that we could definitely, uh, you know, am I going to look at DeGrom the, the same angle? Probably not. DeGrom is still DeGrom. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he's still going to light people up and do his thing. Will the Mets give him run support? That's a different story. But um, I don't think he's a guy that I'm going to like take down a peg just because now he's got to go against one extra hitter that's good, possibly good. I'm not, you know, we got to take this with a grain of salt. It's not like the guy that's going to be going in there for every team's batting 300. Um, yeah. There might be the scenario where there's a guy batting 230 or 240, like you said. So. And you mentioned Scherzer. I mean, he has an a Cy Young award in the AL, so I don't think it's going to yeah, affect him well, too much. Exactly. And that's what I said, guys, that pitched in the National League for like 
the most, the majority of the career, he spent some time in the AL uh, with the, with the uh, Tigers. So, um, you know, clearly he's, he's done this before. He's been there before a uh, guy like Bumgarner. I don't think he ever has, you know, went straight from uh, the giants to uh, Arizona and, and I don't know, baby. So um, why don't we talk about a little bit? We're, we're, we we touched on it slightly, um, and it would be, I guess, the effect that the games would have. That you know, we talked about how many games, whether it's 80, 60, 114. What does this do? So let's say we we will chop in the middle for the sake of the conversation. We'll say it's 82, 82 game season. Uh, you know, that means that we might have to play some double headers. That means a lot of expanded rosters and stuff like that. Now, what do you think that does for starting pitchers, guys that were looking to go deep into games, get wins, more or less some of these young guys? Uh, how do you think that affects the DFS landscape and things that we can, you know, I guess, go in there prepared for, um, I guess, uh, as far as these uh, these pitchers go? I know like some of these younger guys, specifically, a lot of people are moving up on their lists and moving up in their rankings for DFS and things like that because they're not worried about innings limits and stuff like that. But I'm also worried about the guys that aren't going to be able to go six or seven deep. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a, a weird situation because I mean, we had the start and stop already of the, uh, or like already in, in March, they start, they were starting to play uh, spring training games and get their self ready. They had pitchers and catchers and then they had all this stuff before spring training actually and then they had spring training games, and they were very, we were very close to having a season start, and then they stopped. Uh, and now they're, people are starting to throw again, and people are starting to take batting practice, but not fully with the teams. So it's a different look than what you would think uh, if you started the season on time and said, oh, we're only going to play 82 games. So it, when everybody comes back and we get a look at spring training, that's more of when I want to see where people are at physically, mentally, um, where their arms are ready for pitching. And that's that's going to tell you a little bit more. But in theory, uh, now that there's 82 games instead of 160 games or two, 62 games, and that's what we're going to go by, you would expect that um, teams will let their young guys go a little bit longer. Because even next year, if if you pitched 80 innings last year, you'd want your guy at least to go 130 innings, basically. So then next year, he can go 180, maybe 200. Uh, if you keep him at the same time, or if he went up 80 innings to 100 innings last year, and he only does 80 innings to 100 innings this year, next year you can't really jump him up to 215 innings because that's just, as we've seen, that's too much of an increase to where maybe um, arm injuries come into play there, uh, shoulder injuries, all that type of stuff. So you don't want to jump, go from one year to one year. Um, and but this year, especially, I can see them get going into deeper into long or longer into games because uh, there's going to be less innings. One thing I always talked about: people say innings, innings, innings. I like to say number of pitches. Uh, if if you can get through, like Walker Bueller last year, a good example. He's probably one of the best pitchers in the game right now. Uh, but he was able to get six, seven innings. Uh, which we didn't think was going to happen. He did that regularly because he was so effective in the amount of time he was in those innings. He didn't throw a lot of pitches in those innings, so his innings were a little bit higher than uh, we would have thought coming in because he was so effective. So I like to think of how many pitches can you throw and how many can you be effective before you get tired, before you get fatigued, uh, before maybe injury concerns come into there. But in theory, 82 games, these pitchers should be able to go six, seven innings more regularly, but it all depends on effectiveness as well. 
Yeah, and I know one one guy that comes into my mind, a guy that I love, uh, I love his stuff. It's just always how long is he going to pitch? Is like Tyler Glass now. Um, if you tell me Tyler Glass now is pitching seven innings now on a regular basis instead of five and two thirds, and which with now the whole new rule that you know got to finish the inning thing anyway, that's going to boost these pitchers alone, knowing that they you know they're going to have to finish. So that's that's a plus. I mean, we can also see that be a downside as well, but it's definitely a plus in my opinion for a lot of these guys. Uh, but if you tell me a guy like Tyler Glass now is going to get an extra inning or two, that's an extra couple strikeouts. It's a better possibility at a win. Uh, he's already has the stuff. So that's that's a guy like immediately that pops into my head where I would give an, an immediate boost to him. Um, and it also, I think, says something for these more experienced guys like your, you know, like your your Zach Rankies, for instance. These guys that usually would just use training camp to mess around. They come in. They're veterans. They already have, they know their arms. They know what they need. They know what to do. Um, I'm going to have a lot more trust in guys like that early on, knowing that, you know, he's a guy that would be pitching like, you know, high 80s during spring training. Um, and people might be worried about it, but it's Zach Ranke. We're not worried about it. He'll be fine come time of the regular season. He'll be throwing 91, 92, and he'll be regular old Zach Ranke. Um, so that's another guy that kind of popped in my in my head. And I'm going to be probably more, um, I guess, incentivized to play those those veteran arms early on just to make sure, um, you know, yeah. it, it may be only take a week where I'm, you know, I see what I like from these young guys or letting them pitch, whatever it may be. But I think early on, I'm going to be more inclined to pick these veteran arms, just hoping I can get that win and get the seven, eight innings and that they don't care about the spring training. They're good to go. They're veterans. One, uh, one guy, young guy that I want to look at really in the national league. You, you touched on a couple people in the American league, but there's going to be some change. hope or not hope. Um, we're, Looking at some changes in the National League, one young guy that I'm looking at, Julio Urias, a guy who's been a top prospect for five years now, apparently. It feels like forever, um, but he hasn't really pitched deep into a game yet. Is this shortened season uh, a sign that maybe he gets six, seven innings uh, a game uh, now that there's a universal DH and now that... Um, I mean, you don't fully have to take him out if you don't need to because you're not as as worried about his innings, as worried about his pitches. If he can be effective, can he pitch six, seven innings? Because if he can, uh, this guy has shown that he is extremely effective when he's on the mound. He's only He really hasn't gotten the opportunity to stretch out because he's still, what, 22 years old, I think. Um, but he's definitely someone that I want to look at. I, I want to see first if, if this is a, something that's going to happen to him. And if he is... He's not going to be really expensive in your DFS league uh, on the slate, and he's a guy who can be among the top three pitchers anytime he goes out there. So he's he's definitely a guy that I want to target. Yeah, I mean that just fits that mold of these young pitchers that have just excellent K rates that you know have great stuff. It's just the only thing that's holding them back is if he's only pitching five innings. Uh, yeah, he's can't not, get a quality not- start. Very hard to get a win. Um, maybe he does get six strikeouts and he pitched five innings, but someone who pitches eight can get the same amount of strikeouts, even though the rate, the K per nine isn't there. And we're not even talking about how in most DFS platforms you get awarded points for pitching an inning, just getting, you yeah. know, for every, for every inning you get accrued points. So all those come into play. And I think that's a great point. My one fear is the Dodgers are just the Dodgers, man. They love just platooning, bullpenning, you know, long relievers. That's like their MO. It's because they're always just so deep that they don't need to, um, you know, so if I if I I want to see the same thing as you, I'd love to see Urias pitch six seven innings into a game. I think that's perfect. Um, but it's the Dodgers, so that's the one thing that worries me is just them doing their own thing. I would, you know, <laughs> that's I, I think I think what you just said actually segues into another conversation. Uh, maybe probably the last big one 
you said that they are so deep that they like to throw in their bullpen. And one thing that these proposals are talking about are expanding the rosters. Um, so we're talking about maybe putting young pitchers six, seven innings or so. But now, what if each team starts with a playoff roster, like a 40-man roster, a 40-50-man roster? That means there's going to be a lot more pitchers available. There's going to be a lot more uh, bench bats available. Um, but we'll stick to the pitching side for for the for forefront. So the new the new rule is you have to get three outs if you if you come into the game. So we're thinking um, if a Julio Urias is pitching an effective five, but they don't want to push him yet. Uh, you have you're going to have so many options. You're never going to run out of bullpen options. People shouldn't really be tired. I know doubleheaders are going to. It looks like they're going to be more of a, a prevalent thing this year. But if you're going to have so many bullpen options, they're available. Um, Managers have a lot to play with, and they could bring in people uh, a lot easier than if they than they could in the past. Even though they have to go that extra out to two outs. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and you touched on it with that service time thing earlier. Uh, and in pitchers getting young and being so young, where you know you generally build their innings up. So you could be talking about some of these young guys that they have in their system that make that 40, 50 man roster. If you're a young pitcher who hasn't really pitched in the majors, they're not going to probably start you a game. They're probably going to work you in through the bullpen, get you some innings that way. And it might be an avenue where you know maybe the starters pitch some of the starters in some teams, like we just said, the Dodgers. They want to you know pitcheria still go five innings like an idiot. Like I, I wouldn't that would <laughs> kill me. I would that would bother me. But then they have all these other young pitchers that they could just make them long relievers, get their innings that way, give them two, three innings here and there, uh, and use them in the bullpen that way. So maybe the following year, the next year, these guys already have 80, 90 innings accrued, whatever it may be, and then they start to build them up that way as well. So there's there's a lot of things I think we're going to have to keep an eye on as far as bullpens. I know you know me and you talked offline a little bit, and one immediate thing that popped in my head, I'm like, hold on, does this mean Josh Hader's not going to get as many saves because he's a guy that's been, you know, the Brewers have come out and said, we love this guy as our long reliever. Uh, we want to use him in, in high leverage situations, the most important situations. And sometimes a high leverage situation isn't always a close opportunity. Uh, it could be a tie game in the sixth inning or seventh inning, and you just need to get your other guy in there. And they're also getting Corey Knabel uh, back this season after Tommy John surgery. So he's an immediate guy that, you know, obviously you said that wrong. Oh, I know you said I, I, did, I said a name wrong. You said Knievel. It's Ebel Knievel. Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot you do that one <laughs> with your many puns. Um, so, like, I, I obviously closes aren't something that we're generally concerned about in DFS, but obviously we, if you play one, you usually play the other. Me and Santino, we do. We like to talk about everything. So, you know, just while we're on the subject of bullpen, I felt like it was worth bringing it up that I'm going to be probably taking a couple guys like that down a peg or two. Uh, going forward, just because if the save opportunities aren't there, that's where a lot of their value comes in. Uh, yes, you'll still get strikeouts from them. You'll still get a great ERA and great whip and everything like that. But saves is, is huge. It's absolutely huge. Yeah. So it's. I thought it was worth mentioning some of these guys that are specialists in that long reliever role might thrive in it a little bit more. Um, and he's a guy that I felt like would take a small hit. Not and a major one, small one. And setup men are going to be more valuable. Uh, you mentioned it in, in season logs setup men would be more valuable because if you're playing a lot of double headers and you're prominent closer, uh, even an Aroldis Chapman, I mean, he would probably be one of the few guys that I could see pitching day, night and getting saves and balls. But there are not many that could do that. Uh, but even him, I would put the, unless you're a premier closer, uh, maybe a step, a peg or two down because, uh, I mean, I don't like drafting closers in the first place, but um, 
it is the possibility of maybe you get a save in the first day, but your second game, first of all, we're only playing 82 games, so saves are going to be less frequent anyway. Um, so maybe a guy who saves 40 games a season, now 20 is is the new is the new 40. But if you're playing the double headers and and there are a lot more of them, there's going to be the saves are going to be mixed around amongst amongst the group there amongst the yeah. thieves, I guess. Yeah, and the first thing that popped in my head, I'm like, oh, Chris Davinsky's getting a couple saves this season. Uh, you know, those Astros relievers that they have over there, I think they have Presley as well, like just a couple of guys that are some of the best relievers in the game. Um, they're going to have some opportunities, some cracks at it. And if you're in like a daily moves kind of league or one of those, that that's the situ- those are the situations you're monitoring. If you're chasing saves, you're looking for those guys that you can you, who you have confidence in that you know aren't just going to get the opportunity, but can thrive with the opportunity. Guys that still have good good ratios, who are just pitching behind somebody who's slightly better than them. Um, that's the reason why they're in that situation. So uh, I'm with you. I'm I'm going to be probably have a couple of those guys you know circled going into the season. Just keep my eyes on them. Um, and it's worth monitoring. I think, like we said, there's a lot of a lot of impact that this new change, these new rules are going to have on the league in a whole. And I think we touched on a lot of them. So we're about 48 minutes in. Uh, we're probably going to take off out of here very shortly. I think we've, we, we've we've touched on those subjects pretty well. But there's a couple of pieces of news and note just about certain players I had jotted down that might be worth mentioning just because we haven't been basically focusing on any of this stuff. We were just waiting to hear if we're going to get sports. But <laughs> Uh, you know, Shohei Otani, a guy that's, you know, Tommy John surgery, uh, he's been throwing live batting practice, Santino. So we, we know how much the Angels absolutely love their multi-tool stud and they want to have him involved in any way that they could. Uh, but, you know, I think that's a good sign and it's something worth noting. If this guy's pitching batting practice, they're still looking at him pitching, <laughs> you know, so that's yeah. still a major concern. Uh, I don't know if you want to touch on that or if you want to just kind of glance right over it. But I have another one for you if you're ready to keep moving. One on Otani. Uh, one thing that this shortened season, um, I'm I'm just under the impression that we are going to start. We are going to have a baseball season at some point. But one thing that a shortened season could possibly do is instead of crowning, if if you like, uh, like you said, a lot of people who play DFS play season long as well. Um, but if you like your season long league, this would be maybe a time to start a dynasty league, I guess, uh, because it, it is the truncated season. Maybe you crown a champion next year. But for if that's the case and you are doing that, uh, I'm taking Otani in the first round. You don't get a guy who can bat, be a top 20 batter and a top 10 pitcher in the same season uh, that often, and a guy who's going to play every day, whether it's on one side of the field or the other. But um, yeah, this guy, especially in DFS, um, the one thing that I would like to see, or which would be crazy, if on days he pitches. What if Joe Madden wants him to bat as well? Or what if when he's done pitching, uh, he they put him at that DH spot? That would be very interesting. And if that's something that Joe Madden is looking at, uh, this guy is going to be a DFS monster uh, and fantasy monster. I love him. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually a little upset at how high you are on him because you're usually <laughs> my main competition. We, we generally like a lot of the similar players. Uh, he's a guy that I'm really high on, uh, even just as a hitter. Take it, take the pitching out of it. I'm high on him either way. Well, I'm um, high on him just as a pitcher if you take the hitting out of it, too. Yeah, yeah. either way, I'm with you. Um, another wor- news worth noting, James Paxton. He's a guy that was dealing with some injuries prior to the season. We knew that this layoff was going to benefit certain pitchers, him, Verlander, Clevenger, guys that are top pitchers that were injured that weren't going to start the regular season. Uh, he's not only back in pitching, he's uh, he's actually been working on adding in sp- his spin rate, um, improving on his spin rate, which is a completely— Already really good. 
Yeah. And that's something I wanted to talk about because you hear me touch on it a lot. You know, guys, when they're working on stuff, changing the mechanics, when you see a difference in their play, um, that's something that's the first thing I look at. Have they been working on anything? Have they been altering where their hands are, their release, their motion, whatever it might be? Because that's when you can generally see improvements for guys like we're talking about Frankie Montas. Let's say him, for example, take the PEDs out of it. But a guy that was an average pitcher at best, but I believe he started incorporating a splitter. And once he got a new pitch in there, and once you change your pitch mix, he became lights out. He became a totally different pitcher. So that's something I can buy into when I see that there's an actual change that happened, not just he's pitching well. So um, I thought it's worth noting because James Pax is a, lot of, a guy that I think is on a lot of people's minds. He's got a very good high K upside. And now with this spin rate, uh, maybe it's inducing more ground balls and limiting damage. Maybe it's a few more Ks, but it's only going to help him in my opinion. So he's a guy that I wanted to touch on real fast, not spend too much time on him. Um, and your thoughts on him possibly now that he's added this spin rate and he could be healthy with the start of the season. Yeah, the, well, we'll have to see what this this new pitch and what how it looks and everything uh, before I can consider him a, a steal or whatnot, uh, as you are already doing. Um, but in terms of the injury, that's something that we're going to have to look at. I know you mentioned Judge before. Uh, he said he was healthy enough to, to play a month or two ago. So... A lot of things that I want to look at right when things start popping on again are all these injured guys that we're going to miss a month, two months, a couple weeks. Are they ready? And if they are ready, that changes a lot. Uh, The entire DFS landscape is going to change. These guys are probably going to be priced accordingly. A lot of times I saw Judge in in the Sims. I know they were Sims. He was playing anyway, but he was priced pretty low. And if he's going to be healthy and surrounded by a healthy Yankee lineup, uh, I mean that that lineup is just just home run. Everybody is a threat to go yard on any any at bat, any swing. Absolutely, and you must be looking at my show notes because our next <laughs> topic of conversation is Mr. Aaron Judge. Uh, you talked, to, you touched on it. He, I think it was during a live chat with like Damian Lillard. He said a few months ago when, when the quarantine first started that if the season were to start tomorrow, he'd be ready to play. I believe those were like almost his exact words. Uh, yeah, well, Mr. Judge is not yet swinging a baseball bat, so he's an idiot and he lied. Um, so he's definitely not healthy. This or is something- maybe he's just taking a rest because he can, uh, he's yeah. not being forced to, to come back quickly. They don't have a set date in time yet there aren't really team activities going on maybe he's just healing even more uh, that's how i'm looking at it i'm See, gonna take the guy that's out a good of way quarter. to look at it that's a good way to look at it i'm not I, i'm looking at it from a different <laughs> lens though i have the different angle of like this is if it's something like depending on the injury i think is a major factor but he was dealing with rib injury something that was bothering him from the season prior when we remember um something that they thought you know we'll just let it heal naturally we'll let it heal naturally we've seen you know teams do this in the past the angels for example could never want to let their guys get Tommy John surgery. They always want to try to forego it and try to avoid the surgery, whatever it may be. And it always comes back to bite them. Um, I get that feeling right now. Rib injuries, oblique injuries, they're the most detrimental thing to a hitter. Your entire body is rotating. Um, this this worries me. This worries me that even if he is able to play, is he going to be 100%? And uh, a non-healthy, uh, not 100% judge is, is something that we need to be worried about because if it saps his power a little bit, if it saps his bat speed, um, those are two things that will impact judges' numbers tremendously, tremendously. There's no doubt about it. So that's one thing I'm, I'm keeping in the back of my mind or in the front of my mind is that I'm, I'm really monitoring his new situation probably more, more than any other player, more than any other hitter at least uh, right now because – 
you can't mess around. And if it's been bothering him for this long and he's still not picking up a bat, I get it. He doesn't need to swing. But keep in mind, the guy probably hasn't been swinging too much if he's been dealing with this as is. So you definitely want to work on get some reps in there, get some preparation if you possibly could. And if you're not, I'm, I'm going to assume that you are hurt. So I'm, I wanted to bring it up because I'm, I'm probably going to avoid him at all costs until I can see it with my own eyes. And, you know, we, we touch on season long here and there. Maybe that bites me in my season long leagues. If I don't get any shares of judge and he comes back regular start of the season, he's good to go. Ends up hitting 25 home runs in, in a shortened season or whatever it may be. I'll, I'll take one off the chin if that happens. But he's also a guy that you're going to have to pay a premium for, uh, you know, probably within the first four rounds, even with, you know, probably first two if he's healthy, if he's quote unquote healthy first two rounds, but definitely the first four, even if he's coming in there a little nicked up and uh, that could be detrimental. I mean, one, one major injury in a shortened season, like we're talking about can destroy a team. Um, one top pick being down and not playing this early. I mean, if you start in, in a and four hole, it's hard to bounce out of that in a shortened season. It's not necessarily the cream's just going to rise to the top like it normally does in a baseball season when we have 162 games. So um, I wanted to mention him. And then Mr. Brent Honeywell, guy that we were all super excited about, love his stuff, five-tool pitcher, top prospect pitcher for Tampa, um, one of the only guys in the MLB that throws a screwball, Santino. Hmm. Uh, he's done for the year again. So we were all looking forward to hopefully him making a return this season, trying to come back up battling a Tommy John. Uh, he had a decompression surgery on his right ulnar ligament, which is all you guys know. The elbow, the old Johnny. Um, so he's done again. He's not going to be pitching this season. He might still be doing some little, you know, bullpen work or something towards the end. But I can't imagine that they push this guy. And I, I hope he can bounce back and, you know, return to some sort of form where, you know, we don't even know what his stuff might look like at this point after how many times he's had work done on his arm. So, uh, you know, I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on Honeywell real quick, but he is not pitching. Yeah, uh, sad because before his injuries and he went downhill uh he was ranked higher than Blake, Blake Snell who won the Cy Young not too long ago uh, so that's a very disheartening thing for a young guy who had elite stuff in the minor leagues and who looked like the next big thing could you imagine if Tampa just had like a rotation involving like a prime Snell prime glass now prime Honeywell just the youth in there and just <laughs> like the actual upside like Three tremendous guys who, have, and you know, Charlie Morton, who was top, don't forget what three in the Cy Young last year. C.T. Morton, uh, <laughs> you know, the guy that uh, comes came out of nowhere a couple of years ago, and now, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a fluke. That dude's real deal, in my opinion. I love Charlie Morton. I think if we're just talking about actual stuff, he's excellent. Um, we've seen it. We pitched in high leverage situations plenty of times. He can get the innings. Uh, everything goes with him. That would be a crazy rotation. I mean, it'll still be good with Glass now, Snell Morton. Don't get me wrong. It's still a fantastic rotation, but we also need Blake Snell to play. Uh, he's the, he's <laughs> one of the most advocate, advocated players to say he doesn't want to play right now. Uh, and then Glass now just needs to stay healthy. I mean, I think that uh, he's shown that that whole Pittsburgh system, that rotation, the coach, I think it was Ray Searage when he was over there. Did not do them any justice. Very old school coach. Doesn't like analytics. Doesn't like to kind of break anything down using film. He just goes out there and says, throw the ball. Throw the ball hard. Try to locate your pitches. And we've seen a lot of pitchers leave Pittsburgh and just thrive when they go into new locations. And I think last now is a perfect example of one of those. And now that they have a new pitching coach over there, we might be able to look at some of their guys um, in a new lens, I guess, going into the year. But We'll save that for another show, Santino, because we're about at the hour mark. Uh, it was a great show. I think we touched on a lot of key points that a lot of our uh, listeners are going to be able to take advantage of once the season starts. So I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to leave us on, but I'm just going to use this time to say follow us on Twitter. 
uh, at Mike Patria, M-I-K-E-A-P-O-T-R-I-A. You can find Santino at Santino Cacone, S-A-N-T-I-N-O-C-A-C-C-O-N-E. And then if you guys, after you follow us on Twitter, shoot us a little message, you can, you know, give us a little rate and review. Go on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, a five-star review, thumbs up, constructive criticism, comment, or if you just want to say you love the show, we appreciate everything that comes out of it. Uh, and then subscribe to us on YouTube. You'll get the notification when we produce fantastic videos like this for you every single day. So uh, some exciting news around the corner. We're, we're uh, introducing a few new sports over here at DFS Coach Talk. Uh, come join us. Come join our Discord. Check out our website. We have a lot of good content on there. We have a lot of fun things going on over here. And uh, we, we would really appreciate just you guys getting a little bit more involved because we get bored over here. We'd love to talk to you. So um, that's all we have for you. I don't know if you want to leave us on anything, Santino, before you take off. Um, yeah, the last thing I will leave is I do think there will be an MLB season. Um, I think the scare tactics of using the media to uh, try and scare the other side into what you want never really works. Uh, it sounds like it's working until you guys get to the meeting table and then you realize um, that they were bluffing the whole time. So we'll see which side blinks first. I mean, I would say that the owners got to blink because the players – can take the season off so we'll see what happens but i think there will be a season i can't tell you how many games i can't tell you when it starts i can't tell you who's gonna do what uh, at the moment or all this stuff that's up in the air which rules are gonna be what but i think there will be a season and then once we get that down then we can uh, break it down even more absolutely i'm with you uh baseball is on the horizon at some point you know do we know how many games no do we know all the circumstances no not yet but I'm with you in the agreement that we will have baseball soon enough. Otherwise, we're going to get a ton of ton of like just selling out from athletes doing the most craziest commercials for a year, uh, which would be <laughs> hilarious in its own right. I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, something like Max Scherzer uh, trying to sell like Icy Hot and stuff like that. Yeah, that wouldn't if, be a bad thing. <laughs> if they took the year off, it might kill them in future years. So I don't think that the owners yeah. want this. I don't think the players want this. The fans definitely don't want this. So I think it's coming. Nobody wants it, and we'll leave you guys on that. Nobody wants it. We want baseball. We'll get it back soon enough, hopefully. But that's all we have for you guys over here at DFS Coach Talk. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow uh, just talking some good old sports guys, uh, You know, probably circling back to some of these other teams and some other sports. But we'll keep bringing the content if you guys keep on listening. Thank you for listening, guys, and take care.